Good morning or afternoon. I always do that. Good afternoon, y'all. It's 12.09. We are in the afternoon. Uh, my name is Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor here at the church. We're really glad that you're with us today. Hope you enjoy yourself. I hope you uh, enjoy the presence of God, and I hope that God speaks to you personally uh, through this message. Uh, today is a great day coming after a unexpected week, I guess, well, for me, I mean, God knew it was going to happen, but for us, we were planning on being here 6 a.m. every morning. We ended up doing Thursday, and that was it. The rest, we were uh, we met virtually for our 21 days of prayer and fasting this past week at 6 a.m., thanks to Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. We got to stream their services at 6 a.m. Hopefully you all were able to tune in. Those of you who got the communication, I'm really grateful to them. So I just want to honor them and thank their church and their team. And of course, Pastor Chris for just being such a great example and a resource for us and so many other churches. So grateful to them. Also, life groups want to reemphasize uh, the importance of it here at Nashville Life. Uh, we know that you all lead busy lives and the last thing we want to do is just add another thing to your plate. So when we ask you and we encourage you to go to life groups, it's not just so you can have something extra to do. Trust me. I don't, I don't wish extra stuff for the sake of it on anybody. Um, the reason why we ask it is because we truly believe in our hearts that this is uh, essential to your development spiritually, your sense of community, your sense of belonging at this church uh, and just being able to be weekly supported by uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, at a different level than you can do on Sundays. It's just a different experience. And um, so for those of you who have kids, we, we've got child care here on Wednesday. We've got groups that provide child care to support you. Um, and for those of you who are just not sure, uh, just at least consider it. We've got a, a booth right to my right on the way out. Uh, walk by them and just say hi. Let them say hi to you, uh, and they'll give you some information. Or you can go online and see our directory. You see all the ones that we offer. And uh, again, as, as your pastor, as your friend, um, I would not encourage you to do something that I didn't think would make a significant difference and, and uh, benefit to your life. So please, pray and think about it. And Let's just do it this semester. I think you'll love it. Um, before we get into the word, I would love for us to prepare our minds and our hearts uh, for what we're about to hear. So repeat these words after me and say this together. The word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Great. Uh, this is actually my last message for this series uh, in January. We have a special guest coming uh, for a second time next Sunday, uh, Pastor Pearson Pretorius. He's from Pretoria, South Africa, right outside Johannesburg. Um, his first time is when he spoke the Sunday after me and Jasmine got married. He spoke two Novembers ago, and uh, we got to watch online, and I was uh, really hoping that I, he can come back where I can experience him in person uh, and hear him preach at our church. So he will be here. So I strongly, strongly encourage you all to make a point to not just come but bring a friend because I guarantee you what God has for us through him is going to be very powerful, uh, very sobering. He always ends up bringing a, a message that just brings just great conviction in a really beautiful way. Um, so please come and join us as we listen to him next week. Uh, but yeah, two weeks ago, I spoke on uh, Pray First. That was the, the theme of the message. And really for the whole month, uh, we have a Pray First resource for everyone who's participating in the 21 days of prayer. Um, if we don't have any physical copies left, we have one where you can uh, download it to your phone. If you just scan uh, the QR code in the lobby, you can get this free resource that teaches you on better ways and biblical ways to pray. 
So I strongly encourage you guys to get the Pray First resource. Uh, but that was our first message for the year. And then last week, we talked about the, pro, uh, the principle of the first, kind of saying in this, uh, the same theme of the way you keep God first is by giving him the first portion of what you receive. And the Bible says that when you separate the first portion and reserve it for him, it becomes holy and it's special and it's something that God uses to set the tone for all the rest. And he blesses the rest for you to enjoy, for you to share, for you to steward, uh, for you to multiply. And as he multiplies the rest, then the first portion of your next harvest is bigger than your last. And that's how we grow in generosity. That's how we grow our capacity to have and steward and be faithful over whatever God has given us. Uh, this week, I want to stay in the same theme uh, Today's message is called First of All. First of All. Um, God understands that all of us have an all on our plate. We have several responsibilities. Many of us have several interests. Many of us have several cares and concerns. Uh, and God is fine with that. He understands that. He knows this. But he's asking to be first of all. So, the cool thing about God is he, he's not saying that he has to have everything. He doesn't expect to be the only thing that you think about. He doesn't expect to be the only thing that, he, uh, only thing that you care about. But he is asking to be the first of all the things you care about and the first of all the things that you have to do. So he's, he's very reasonable, but he's, he's very... Uh, non-negotiable about this position that he has in our lives or that he's calling for and demands in our life. And uh, we've got a lot of scripture that's going to help us out today. My first one is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33. This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of which of you by being, sorry, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So there goes that same reasoning that I share with you. God is reasonable. He is not offended by your needs. He's not offended by uh, your list of responsibilities. He's not going, oh, my goodness, they're drinking water. They're supposed to only drink me and my righteousness. Why are they drinking water? He knows you need water. He created you to need water. He's not offended that you, oh, man, they're shopping for clothes. They're supposed to be wearing the robe of righteousness. Why are they getting clothes? They're so stupid. That's not what he's saying. He's, he knows you need clothes. Trust me. He knows you need clothes. He's fine with the fact that you have 
these needs. It's not the, it's not the, the fact that you have needs and desires and that not everything is exclusively him. He's not like that. But what he is saying specifically is he wants to be first. So before you go out and get those shirts, can you, can you, can you, can you look for him first? You know, before you get that drink of water, can you acknowledge him first? You know, but that, that's, that's where he comes in. I'm asking to be first of all. Um, Jesus tells us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. He pairs these two, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he says to do it first, first before everything else that he was talking about, all the cares of life, our food and our drink and our clothes and the money that we get to buy our food and our drink and our clothes. All of these things need to be set in a proper list of priorities. Your priorities is, uh, your priorities are the, the list of things that matter in your life in order of importance. And again, just to stress, God is not saying wipe out your whole list and forget about everything else in your life. He's not saying that. He's saying to seek the kingdoms, seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God first and then everything else after. Uh, I want to break down God's kingdom and his righteousness really quickly because God's kingdom is a, is a, it's a big concept. There's several parables and scriptures that, that try to open our eyes to the kingdom of God. And honestly, I can't cover it all, um, probably even in a lifetime. But for today, I want to say God's kingdom is the spiritual realm where Jesus reigns as king. It is the realm where you find God's decrees, his commandments, his order, his design, his benefits, his results are all in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is a way of seeing, it's a way of believing, it's a way and an order of life that reflects God's original intent, his original design, his original plan. God's realm is where the world is overcome. All the sins and the struggles that we deal with in this world and the kingdom of God, they have all been overcome by the blood of Jesus. God's kingdom uh, is where our family become those who do the will of God the Father. When you're born again, you receive a new father, you receive a new identity, and a lot of us forget that we also receive a new family. You receive, so these, we're not just a room of a bunch of random people. We are now in the kingdom of God, we are brothers and sisters. According to the word, even more brothers and sisters than our own blood. So when it comes to the spiritual life that we are born into, it's really another life, which is why we need to seek it. We need to be familiar with it. We need to understand it. Otherwise, we're not going to function properly as Christians, and our lives won't match what God and his word had intended for us. Um, God's kingdom is a realm of endless possibility. It's uh, a realm of infinite joy. Um, it's a world of, of, of uh, mercy and, and miracles and truth. And it is also a realm where everything reflects God's goodness. It's where we all want to be. We want to be living in the kingdom of God. Trust me, it is better than anything that this temporal world could ever offer us on its best day. Uh, let's talk about God's righteousness. God's righteousness is where you find God's mind. It's where you find his heart. It's where you find his character, his holiness. God's righteousness is where you find Jesus. Jesus is our access to the righteousness of God. It's how we see the righteousness of God. It's how we become the righteousness of God. I should say he. He is how we see the righteousness of God. He is how we become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a position to God. It actually means to be in right standing, which means you and God, you are standing in a right position in context to God. Uh, it's a relationship 
with God. It's a posture towards God, a posture of repentance, a posture of being fully accepted by God, a posture of duty. It's, there's responsibility that comes with being righteous. And then it's also uh, delight. There's great pleasure that comes with righteousness. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, a posture of confidence. When you're righteous, there's a confidence. You can go to God boldly. You can uh, speak to mountains and tell them to move. You can, you, 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 fear is not uh, your master when you're righteous. So there's a posture of confidence. There's also one of great humility because you understand when you're righteous that your righteousness is not your own. So there's a humility that comes with it too. There's a royalty. There's a royal heir that, that you have. Literally, you become royalty in heaven um, when you are righteous. But you're also a servant at the same time. So you're a king, but you are a, a servant leader. You are uh, full of, of humility and servitude, and that's, that's the greatness. That's the dynamic. That's the multifacet of, facets of, of God's righteousness. And the Lord says this is what we should be seeking. We should be seeking first. I want to talk about seeking really quickly because we hear seek and we're like, okay, wait, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean seek as in hide and go seek. Uh, God is not hiding the kingdom from us. In fact, he brought the kingdom to present to us through Jesus. When Jesus came on the earth, the kingdom of God was brought to the world for you and I to see, for us to access, for us to experience. Uh, now, when it comes to hiding the kingdom, I brought this point up last service. The only time I can think of where God might hide the revelation of the kingdom is when you are in pride. Uh, when we are proud, when we slip into self-righteousness, when we believe that we have good outside of Christ and we begin to build on that kind of self-goodness, uh, we actually become blind to the kingdom of God. We no longer see Jesus as Savior. We just see him as maybe a Savior for others, but not a personal Savior. You don't see Jesus as Savior until you recognize that you need saving. Uh, Jesus famously said in Mark chapter 2 that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you believe that you are uh, wise um, just innately, if you believe that you are perceiving and insightful just innately, uh, you cancel your need for Jesus and therefore the kingdom of God is not available to you in that, in that time. You, it's not until you see Jesus for who he is that your eyes are open that the kingdom of God even exists and how to actually enjoy it and experience the kingdom of God for yourself. Um, so the seeking is not hiding outside that one aspect. I believe prideful people are, uh, they miss out on the kingdom. But when you see the need for Jesus and you see the need for his righteousness, your eyes are open, and then it's time to start seeking. And when I say seeking, I don't mean like, hide, like look behind that rock or look behind that curtain, like are they going to find the kingdom? I don't think God's going oh, you, almost, you can't find it. Like that's not what God's doing. When he says seek the kingdom, he means seek it like you are exploring a, a, a large house. Uh, we went to the Metropolitan Art Museum in uh, Manhattan, New York, and it was so big, we couldn't even like see half of it after like an hour, a couple hours. We could have been there all day, and there was so much to explore. There's, you could have been there for a week. I know people who go there every week, and they see different stuff all the time. It's just, it's just so big, and there's so many details. Well, take that and, like, multiply it by a gazillion, if that's a number. And that's the kingdom of God. You can seek it 
all your life and still discover new things. There's so many rooms. There's so many hallways. There's so many details. There's so many dimensions. There's so many uh, aspects of beauty and, and, and brilliance. And the Lord is saying he wants us exploring his kingdom. He says there's more for you to explore. There's more for you to discover. There's more than just the entry-level stuff. You can get in past the foyer. There's things upstairs. There's things downstairs. There's things in the basement. There's things on the east wing. There's things in the west wing. Same with comes God's righteousness. His righteousness is so layered. He has so many layers of goodness. He has so many layers of brilliance. And he wants us seeking it and not just seeking it, but seeking it before we seek anything else. Which means a lot of us have a lot of changes to make. Because the very thing that you might not even seek at all, he's telling you to seek it before you seek everything else. Which means he's not just saying, you know, baby steps, add me into your life. He goes, make me first. Make me first and do whatever you have to do to make it happen. And he goes, my grace is sufficient for you. My Holy Spirit is here to help you. If you need, I knew you would need help. <laughs> That's why I gave you my spirit. Now go and do what you got to do to fulfill this decree of me becoming the first thing that you seek. And whatever inconvenience comes as a byproduct is worth it. There's a big difference in seeking things when you have time and seeking things first. I think a lot of us have made the mistake over years of treating seeking the Lord as an extracurricular activity, which means you do what you have to do, you do the essentials, and then if time allows, you'll seek God's kingdom and you seek his face. And a lot of us are gonna have to do a significant flip a significant flip because things that we have deemed as essentials in most of our lives are actually extra. And the thing, the kingdom of God, if that's extra, that's actually the essential. So yes, I know it. I know that you got to make some changes, but that's why you're here. You're here to, to hear about the changes that you need to make in your life. And the truth is, whatever you are seeking with more vigor than the kingdom, more hunger, more discipline, more consistency, more focus, then the kingdom of God is out of order. And it's actually hurting you. This is not a message on how to be a super Christian. This is a message on how to live. This is not a matter of, you know, if you, this is not a message to make your good life better. This is a message to actually make you come alive for the first time. This is not a message that's going to give you extra credit on your life with Jesus. If you don't get this, you won't get any of it. This is the only way to live. This is the only way to follow Jesus. And I say this is the only way, according to the word, this is the only way to see, his, to see him in peace. This is a matter of life and death. And if you think I'm being extra, let's just read the Bible. Jean Bevere has a, a book called The Fear of God. And it really is a book that challenges us as people to move out of this passive position when it comes to God moving in our lives. Most of us, I think, walk with a theology, whether we say it or not. Our lives reflect that we have a theology that we are just basically at the mercies of God when it comes to his power being active in our life. And if we want, if, if his power, if he's going to be powerful in our life, it's going to be because he decides to be powerful in our lives. And we basically have to just sit here and cross our fingers and hope that we get picked to be uh, full of God's glory. And if it doesn't happen, it's because he didn't want it to happen and it's not our fault. I'm going to say something very un-2024, and it is our fault. 
It's our fault. God's power in your life is 100% up to you. The amount of power that manifests in your life, the amount of glory that you experience is 100% up to you. I know this might challenge a lot of the religious bones in our bodies, but God is coming to shake all things. That's not truth. Mark chapter 6, very controversial chapter. Jesus was walking in Nazareth, and the Bible says that he could not perform great miracles in that city. The Bible doesn't say that he would not. The Bible says that he could not. The reason why this is controversial, because our mind goes, but you can't say that. Jesus can do all things. Jesus is powerful. He's mighty. And that's true. He is. But the reason why he could not do miracles in that city was not because he didn't have the power to do it. The reason why he could not, the reason why he actually did not have the ability to do the miracles in that city is not because of his power, but it's because of the perception of the people that saw him. They refused to see Jesus as someone worthy of the hype. They refused to see Jesus as someone worth all of this extra attention and praise and glory. They refused to see Jesus as a big deal. And it was because they were mean or mad. They were familiar with Jesus. This was his hometown. This is where he grew up. So they saw him grow. They saw him at three years old. They saw him at five. They saw him with a diaper on. They saw him, you know, go to school. They saw him at Little League. They saw, they, 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 they saw him as, Jesus, as Mary and Joseph's boy. So because they saw him as a mere man and someone that was not God and someone that was not revered and worthy to be honored and worthy for a schedule change or for a change in your schedule that day because Jesus is in town. Something tells me most of their schedules were all the same. I'll see him when I see him. I know where he lives. I've lived by him. I know where he is. I'm good. That was the attitude when he came into the town. And the Bible says because of this dishonor, because of their unwillingness to exalt him to being a big deal, someone worth clearing their calendar for, the Bible says that he cannot perform great miracles in that city. I want to bring the, the, the flip side to this too. Why is it that we always hear these supernatural miracles out in like, the sticks or out in Africa or these other places. It's not a different Jesus there. He's a big deal to these people. These people will wait in the rain to hear the man of God bring the word of God. Here in our country, if there's not enough parking, if you've got to walk a block, this is not the will of God. I mean, this is real, guys. And I want to make sure we fix our theology. God is the same God. And, and there's not more. I was reading. Uh, there's not. And it's not like we tell ourselves so many things. Well, you know, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of witchcraft out there. Derek Prince, one of my heroes who does a lot of deliverance, he says he's never seen more demons in the country than in the U.S., so if we think that there's all those miracles, there's all these witchcraft and voodoo things out, they're doing all that weird stuff. That's why all the miracles are happening because it's so spiritual there. It's actually more demonic probably here because of the pride and because of the idolatry. So it's not, I'm telling you guys, the hunger for God, the willingness to suffer for God, the willingness to reverence and inconvenience your life for the glory of God is what produces miracles in your life. How, you tell me, how can God be powerful in your life if he's less important to you than a soccer game? How? How do you actually expect for God to manifest his full glory in your life if you've demoted him lower than a TV program? How in the world can you expect God to truly manifest in your life if you've lowered him lower than English assignments? youth 
We can't put anything over God. Anything. Nothing is more important than seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. Nothing. It, and, 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 and when I tell you guys this is a matter of life and death, I, I mean, I, I truly, I truly mean it. I'm, I'm taking my time a little bit more. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Whatever you seek before the kingdom will actually prevent the kingdom from happening in your life. Whatever you seek before the kingdom of God will actually prevent the kingdom of God from happening for you. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Now there is nothing, the Bible says there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, and the one thing that will still be standing is the word of God. And you're telling me, Lord, that as powerful as the word of God is, I can actually choke and cut the supply, the oxygen supply of the word of God in my life simply because of my priorities. Do y'all know that the devil doesn't have the power to stop the word of God? He has, he has no power. He's defeated. He's nothing to God. He's not even a rival to God. Like, rivals are when it's like a close match. He's a joke to God. But what the enemy can't do to the word of God, your priorities can. Your priorities actually have the power to choke the word of God from doing what it was purposed to do in your life. It doesn't say the devil choked the word. It says their desire for other things choked the word. It doesn't say Satan choked the word. It says their cares for the world choked the word. Proving it unfruitful, which means something as potent and as powerful as the seed of the word of God, which is meant to produce fruit upon fruit upon fruit that's running over your life and spilling into your family's life and your neighborhood's life and your workhouse life and your school life and your team life. This infinite fruitful seed, when buried underneath the things that you seek before God, it can actually prevent that seed from spreading and flourishing and blossoming in your life the way it was supposed to. Idols limit God's power in your life. Idols, it's the opposite of magnifying the Lord. When you magnify the Lord, you're lifting him up, you're pumping him up, you're exalting him, you're putting him high. When you have idols, it minimizes God. So your, so your voice might be saying, Jesus, you're king of kings. You're first. I build my life on you. And your life is saying, Lord, on a good day, you might be more important to me than food. Your, life is, your song is saying, oh, Lord, you are first. I surrender all. But your life is telling him, Lord, I might give you something if you're nice to me. You tell me what, you tell me what I want to hear. And if my schedule works out. And it's, there's a disconnect. Jesus says we worship him with our lips, but our heart is far from him. And I believe that's a word to us. I want to make sure that our song lyrics and our heart posture match. I want to make sure that our Instagram posts of scripture and our calendars match. Whenever Israel was conquered in battle in the Old Testament, it was never because of the other side. It was never because of the enemy. It was never because of the opposite side that they were fighting. It was always because of idolatry. 
God moved and shifted over time to second and third place. And that's a very deceptive thing, and that's where I believe a lot of us find, because it's not like, I, I know I'm not talking to a room where God is not on the list. I mean, you're here. If God wasn't on your list, you wouldn't be here. But, but God has brought you here to tell you that he can't just be on your list. He's not like your friends, where they can be, you know, they're not number one in my life, but they're in my life, and we have a good relationship. You know, I see them every couple years. We catch up. We pick up where we left off, and it was great, and I'll talk to them about a year. He's not like that. He's not like your, your, your fitness goals. You know, fitness goals can be number four on your list and still do good for you. Like, you can have fitness as number four on your list and still have great results by the end of the year. God doesn't function like that. When God is not first to you, prepare yourself, he actually becomes nothing to you. And the reason why you heard, oh, because that, is, that, that only applies to God. That doesn't apply to anything else. There's nothing else that's that radical. God can only function. He can only function in the first place spot. If he's anywhere else, he can't function. He can't be himself. He can't be himself in your life in any other spot but number one. If God is not first in your life, something else is. That's what we have to realize. It's not, there's not a neutral ground. The Bible says one man can't serve two masters. It says you will either love one. And the Bible, I think sometimes we act like the Bible says you'll love one and just love the other one less. The Bible doesn't say that. It says you will love one and hate the other. Which is why if God is not number one in your life, he will prove to be nothing to you. And if that feels tight and narrow, it's because it is. There's not a lot of wiggle room in this area. There's, God just does not provide any kind of any uh, handles or anything else to hold on to. He, it's, it's, he's first or nothing. He's first or nothing. And I know that goes against that part of us, we want to negotiate. God, come on, let's talk about this. Let's be rational here, God. Come on. Isn't having you in my life still good, God? You know, isn't this better than nothing, God? God goes, no. <laughs> and I know to us it should make sense. I'm with you. That should make sense. If he's in my life, I mean, come on, he's God. Surely that's something. That's why the word says we cannot lean on our own understandings. Because our understandings say, come on, third is better than nothing, God. And he goes, third is nothing. God being God doesn't necessarily make him your God. God is great. God is awesome, but it doesn't mean that he's great and awesome in your life. God is a healer, yes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he is a healer in your life. And if any of you guys are honest with me, you would admit that there are some qualities of God that you've heard about that you haven't experienced. If we were all honest with ourselves, there are certain scriptures where we've seen God move in people's lives that we don't know about. If it wasn't for the Bible, we wouldn't even know it was real because it's not happening a lot in our lives. We're not experiencing these, these kind of, but it's not because of him. He's not saying, you know, I don't think I want to move that way with 2023 anymore. We have idols, guys. And we have placed and sought other things and we thought that he was able to kind of coexist along with the other stuff. And he goes, if I don't sit on top, I'm not in there. If I'm not on top, I'm not in the picture. Church might be in the picture. Religious activity might be in the picture. But him? 
He can only be first. And when he becomes first, guys, he becomes your lens. By the way, whatever you seek first becomes the lens from which you see everything. So if you seek, I don't know, if, if, if you are always thinking and analyzing your past, this is a big one because this is a lot of us. If you're obsessed with your past and the negativity of your past and the pain of your past, if that's what you seek first, if that's where your mind goes to first, that will actually be the lens from which you see everything. You will see everything from the lens of your past. God brings a blessing to me. Oh, that might be like what happened to me 20 years. You, you, you can't even move forward because you see everything through the lens of your past. If you seek companionship first, and you just got to find that one. I got to find the one. I got to find the one. You will see everything through the lens of will this get me married or not. But when you seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, it becomes your lens. So you see everything through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see your mountains and your obstacles through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see your marriage through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see your money through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see your failures through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see your successes through the lens of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You start to see school through the lens of the kingdom of God. And this is his will. His will is for us, for, for us to approach all of the issues and concerns of our lives through one specific lens, and that's the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you see things through that lens, you, it changes your world in an instant. And I mean an instant. I don't even mean over time. I mean in an instant, as, as obvious as changing your glasses changed the way you see things. Have you ever switched glasses with somebody? It's like, oh, man, I see. That's how literal this is. When you make God first and you seek him first, he becomes the lens. The best example I can think of before I close is Joseph. Joseph was, he went through incredible trauma and rejection. His brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused, put in prison for years, went through terrible, terrible, terrible things for crimes he didn't commit. And the only way, guys, that Joseph was able to overcome the pain and the trauma of his family and the things that he went through in his past, the only way he was able to overcome the deep-seated rejection and pain and anger and all of the things that come when you go through something as horrible as what he went through, the only way he was overcome was to see through the lens of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And there was a painful, the Bible says he screamed. He was going through that transition of, of demoting his trauma from not being the first thing that's most important to him and the revenge that he was planning and all the things that was going through. And he made God's will first. And when he saw it through the, that lens, he went from being a victim to a victor. He went from seeing himself as a victim of his brother's betrayal to actually being honored and realizing that God had picked him to bring salvation to save his family and his nation. He went from feeling like the scum of the earth to the new lens made him realize that I was actually the one chosen to open this door for my family and my nation to be saved from famine. See how significant a change a lens can have. God wants us all to see our lives, to see our past, to see our future, to see our goals through the lens of the kingdom of God. And if you want that lens, you've got to start putting him first. You've got to start putting him first. Do whatever it takes, guys. Do whatever it takes. And when he gets first, protect that position at all costs. Don't let anyone, don't let anything, you guard that thing like a dog. Guard it. Guard that first position in your heart 
for God, reserved for God only, so that when the competitive priorities in your life try to sneak up and get into that seat, you spot it from a mile away. Oh, no, you don't. Just for that, I'm fasting for two days. Just for that, I'm taking a break for two weeks from you. Just for that, I'm not buying another thing for a month. Just for that, you got to start being protective. Just for that, I'm going to bed two hours earlier so I can wake up. Because whatever tries to get that spot, you got to guard it. It's worth the work. It's worth the change. It's worth the inconvenience. Trust me. I want God, and I know he wants, and I believe you want him to flourish in your life. But he can't flourish if he's not first. He won't flourish if he's not first. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the charge for us to put you first, first of all, first of all of the things that we've got going on, all of the things, God. Let us put you first. Give us the, first off, we ask for forgiveness, God. We know that idolatry is a major offense to you and your heart. It's also a major offense to our development and our, our well-being. God, so we repent for any form of idolatry, whether it was work, family, school, finances, relationships, whatever. Ministry, no matter what it is, God, we, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for your mercy, and then we also ask for your grace. Give us the help to make these changes, God. We got a lot of changes to make, all of us. We all have a lot of changes to make, God, so give us the grace and the help. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Give us the practical steps as well as the personal conviction. To seek your kingdom and your righteousness first, above all things. Lord, and we thank you in advance for blessing everything else we've got going on in our lives and taking care of all of our concerns and all of our needs. Lord, you promised that you would take care of all of it in an abundant measure. So we thank you for being so kind to us. But we also thank, we also thank you for being a, a stern Father, for us, letting us know that we, we can't mess around with this. There is no other way to experience you in peace than to put you first in our lives. So we do that today in Jesus' name, God. Thank you for helping us. Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to ask for the prayer team to get in position. This prayer is a simple prayer, but it, it, it sets God first place. This is not a prayer to add God into your life. We are not interested in that. It's not enough. He can't just be in your life. He's got to be top. He's got to be first. He can't just be an associate. He's got to be king. So if you want him to be king and you are ready to make him first over everything, including the most important things to you, then pray this prayer with me because he's going to sit there and he's going to bless you. He's going to change your life. He's going to give you new eyes to see everything concerning your life and everything concerning him. Repeat these words. Say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead forgive me of my sins make me a new person in Christ Jesus say Lord Jesus I choose you 
to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen and faith. Hallelujah. Let's make a louder sound. Come on, guys. This is Jesus. Let's magnify him. He's a big deal. Let's treat him like the king that he is. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. God bless you all. I really believe many of you all, if not all of us, are going to see some significant change in our life for the better. Um, if you need prayer for anything, this team is here to pray for you. They love you. They're here to pray. Please don't hesitate on your way out. If there's prayer needs of any kind, please see our team. You can also uh, text the word BELONG to 77411. It's a great, easy way to connect with us. We can give you information about our church, different things that are going on. We've got our worship night Friday. We love to pack it out, get all of you guys here to praise God together. Um, lastly, if you want to get more connected, the best way, in my opinion, is to go to Next Steps. Next Steps starts right now, right when we dismiss. It's one floor up. We've had a great run this month. I would love to meet you, tell you more about the vision and the values of our church, uh, just for your information. And you can uh, decide after if you want to get more involved here with us. We would love to see you there. Um, lastly, if you want to give, thank you in advance. You can give online. Or our team can serve you in the lobby. And there's also a box out that way if you want to give on your way out if you're exiting behind you. Um, other than that, I pray that you have an awesome rest of the day. Lord willing, we'll be here tomorrow at 6 a.m. for our final week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then uh, Friday we'll be here and then Sunday. So hope to see all one of those, if not all of those things. Have a good one.